Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com. Today I'm going to be taking your questions on 2 liter turbo carbon buildup, getting your first job as a tech, soldering wires on Volkswagens, and more. This is episode 33 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. So we are moving forward rapidly in time, and this is where the Q&A show really started to have its footprint as a main part of the show. I'm actually going to be answering a lot of questions on today's episode. It did take me a little bit of time to really dial in how I like the Q&A shows to go. And while I wish I could answer so many more questions on each one of these shows, you only get so much time, especially when it comes to YouTube. But you know what? Maybe what I can do is answer a couple more on the audio-only version of the podcast for the Monday show. If that's something you guys think you'd be interested in, do me a favor, swing over to the blog and drop a comment down on episode 33 and let me know what you think. Maybe answering three or four more questions on the audio version versus the video would be a way to help you guys out on the podcast because I do think sometimes these audio only versions are a little bit short. Remember, if you want to get a question on a show like this, whether it be audio on YouTube or on the quick videos playlist on YouTube, the best way to do that is to email me, charles at humblemechanic.com. Put question for Charles in the subject. Please be sure to ask a question right at the top, at the very top of the page of the email. Space it out a little bit, hit the enter button a couple of times, and then give me the details of your question. It makes it so much easier when I know the question going into reading the details, rather than try to pluck the question out. In fact, if you don't hear your question, odds are that's what happened and the question was just buried a bunch of other texts. I get hundreds of emails every day, so the more you guys can do for me to help me answer your questions, the better off it is. I'm not really, you know, beating up on you guys or anything, just trying to make it easier and more efficient for all of us. Before we get into the show, I want to remind you, if you like the work that I do for you and like that I answer your questions, there's a couple ways you can help support the show. The best way really is to join the crew membership program. This is a premium membership. It's set up so that you get exclusive content. You get discounts that you can't get anywhere else to places like Prime Shades, MT Knives, Sonic Tools, Eurowise, Black Forest Industries, Petrol Box, and more. And I'm always working to add more vendors to our discount list. So if you're a vendor and want to jump on that list, fire me an email, put uh, crew member support in the subject, and let me know, and maybe we can get it worked out for you guys. But in addition to those discounts, in addition to helping support the show, you also get the VW Audi training manuals that I build for the classes that I teach. Guys, these are 355 bucks a pop. Pretty soon, you're going to have a total of about six of these training books. The only other way to get these is to attend one of the classes that I teach. And again, that's 355 bucks a pop. So check that out. As always, there's links to all this stuff over on the blog at HumbleMechanic.com and down in the description. You can also throw some support on Patreon. There's some exclusive cool things going on down over there, as well as use my Amazon link at the bottom of every blog post is a box with a list of recommended tools. In addition to that, anytime I do a video where I'm using tools, I put links into all that. Click the link, buy what you're gonna buy, whether it's the tool I'm talking about or anything else on Amazon, and I do get a little credit for that, and that helps out quite a bit when it comes to keeping the lights on and keeping the show going. So thank you guys so much for all that support. It really does mean the world to me, and it helps me keep the show going for you guys. And one final shout-out in this particular 
regular Q&A show to VW of America for hooking me up with some driver gear. That's probably one of the few times you'll hear me give a big shout out to VW of America. But my buddy over there hooked me up with some really rad driver gear. And, uh, you know, I still appreciate it, even though I don't think I wear any of these shirts anymore. So with that, let's get into the show. First question comes from Ken. He says he loves the show. Thanks, Ken. And he says that I mentioned in one of my videos about uh, Volkswagen recommending not soldering wires. And he was just curious why. I've actually got this question a lot, so thanks, Ken, for that. Um, I had to look it up because I forgot. Uh, I've spent so many years just doing crimp connections on, on our wiring that, uh, you know, doing a solder on, on a dealership repair just isn't really in the norm for me. Officially, they say that introducing solder into the wires can actually increase resistance in a wire. Uh, that comes from the self-study program. So that's their official answer. I have some of my own thoughts. These aren't Volkswagen official answers. These are my thoughts. Um, I think it's two reasons. And mostly, I think most guys just don't know how to solder very well. You know, it, it, it's a safety thing. We, one, we don't want to risk damaging any control modules. Uh, I've actually seen a couple ECMs damaged by bad soldering uh, in one way or another. You know, I don't know how exactly it happened, but I've replaced many ECMs, not many, but a couple ECMs um, due to fried circuits in, inside the, the box. Um, there's also a lot of really awkward places that we put ourselves in to make wiring repairs underneath dashes, underneath seats, and, uh, you know, doing solder with that the length of time that it takes to do a solder and get the wires hot enough to melt it um, could potentially be hazardous. Doing it on the bench is quite a bit different than doing it while laying underneath a dash. And I think, you know, a, a crimp connect, especially one with the the uh, built-in heat shrinks, um, is a really good repair. I've seen wires fail before that fails if you do them right. And um, I think part of it is just Volkswagen trying to mitigate some of the, the risk involved in, in soldering wires. So um, good question, Ken. Um, you know, I like doing the crimp connections. They're faster to me. Uh, there's nothing wrong with soldering. If you're good at soldering, uh, you can do a really, really solid repair and not have, have an issue with it. But again, I think most of it comes with uh, the lack of ability for people to solder. So good question. Thanks for it. Next one comes from Andy. He says, hey, Charles, came across your collaboration with Engineering Explained. Awesome. Glad you liked the VR6 video. The DSG one hasn't come out yet, but I'll make sure I let you guys know about that. Uh, it says he's been looking for a Volkswagen technician to watch for a while. <laughs> awesome. That's cool. Thanks for that. Uh, he's a level one car maintenance, studying that in college, and he wants to become an apprentice at a local VW dealership. He's in England, which I think the difference in England and even Canada versus how it works in, in the United States is huge. So um, I'm not exactly sure what kind of process you guys have to have. Ours is pretty much non-existent. Um, but he, he loves the Volkswagen brand and wants to become a Volkswagen tech. So he wanted to know, he wanted to know what he could do to sort of stand out from everybody else. And this is actually a great question, Andy, not only for you specifically wanting to become a Volkswagen tech, but for any of you guys that are coming out of any type of automotive training, whether it's UTI, NTI, Wyotech, community college, what you have to understand is that when you graduate, that very first time you send out an application to someone, that person has probably gotten a hundred million other applications that look identical to yours. The only difference is going to be your name and your work experience. So if your work experience really stands out, 
make sure you um, you know you highlight that. I had never worked in the automotive industry, um, fixing cars anyway, when when I started at my dealership. So I made sure to really put my skills out as you know teamwork management um, and that kind of stuff, sales, rather than just the generic um, resume that that you get from from graduating these programs. So what can you do to stand out other than just highlight the things that make you different? Man, it's all about attitude. Um, It's all about a positive attitude, I should say. It's all about work ethic. Um, You know, these these places are kind of rolling the dice on you. They don't know you from anybody. So they they just see this generic platform. And and it's not bad that, that it's so generic because it needs to be, you know, appealing to everyone. But um, really highlight that, really highlight positive attitude, really highlight willing to, you know, do the extra that it takes to coming up as a young tech. Um, make sure you have good diagnostic skills. Uh, I don't think you need to say that you really like electrical work because that's what every single UTI, NTI, Wyotech person has ever said. I think I said it too. Um, I did, so I don't know how true it is for everybody else. I really did like it. Um, so, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a stretch for me, but really make sure that your diagnostic skills are up to par. And for you specifically, Andy, and really for any of you guys that are going to a brand that you have an affinity for, make sure you tell people that. Make sure you, they know, you know, it's not just that I want to fix cars. I want to fix these cars. I want to work on these cars. I want to be, you know, to take my love for this brand, whether it's Volkswagen or Chevy or Ford. And I want to be put in an environment where where I can share that you know enthusiasm for the brand. So focus on those things, man, and um, and you'll do just fine. Jeff asks, uh, "Hey Charles, I have another question for you. The issue is carbon buildup on TSI 2.0 liter engines. There are rumors on GTI forums that doing an Italian tune-up, um, which apparently is holding the engine at 3,000 RPM for 30 minutes." Uh, <laughs> which is funny. So I'm not sure where that comes from. If you guys know where that came from, post it in the comments because I'd love to know. Um, that's really funny. Anyway, he wants to know, uh, doing that uh, regular basis would minimize the carbon buildup. So what Jeff's talking about is carbon buildup on the, the newer 2.0 turbo um, actually, it's really been all the 2.0 turbo Volkswagen engines. Um, these are the direct injection engines, which means fuel doesn't pass past the valves. It goes right into the cylinder. Um, this is actually a problem with all direct injection. Um, BMWs have issues for years. They have special tools to clean it. Uh, I know Hyundai and Kia with their GTD or GDT, um, whatever the acronym is, they have issues with it. So this isn't a Volkswagen problem. This is a design concern, I'll say. Uh, I think manufacturers are starting to put an injector sort of um, between the throttle body and the intake valves to, you know, clean some of that carbon up. Jeff, I don't know how much that's really going to help once it's started. That may be a great thing to do very early on. 3,000 RPM for 30 minutes, that's that's a while, um, unless you're on the highway, and even then, 3,000 RPM is kind of high. I think your fuel economy would uh, would definitely suffer, but you know, 900 bucks or whatever it costs to clean the valves on uh, on a two liter turbo, it, it, that buys a lot of fuel. For me, in my head, it makes sense that more full throttle accelerations on a regular basis is probably a good thing to do. The stuff that you put in the gas tank 
can't really do anything to uh, to prevent this. And I've seen zero um, through the intake cleaners that do really anything to um, get rid of this carbon once it's built up to the point where you really know about it. It may work as a preventative, but as a uh, as a repair, it doesn't work. So far, the only way that I've seen to handle this problem is mechanically cleaning it. And that's removing the intake manifold, whether it's cleaning it with a media blaster or, um, you know, picks or, you know, carbon cleaner, whatever, whatever way you do it. That seems to be the only way that I've seen that actually does work. Um, we, I have a guy that's been bothering me um, to, <laughs> to let him demo uh, a, a treatment for our cars at the dealership. And, uh, you know, it, I just really don't have the time for him, sadly. But if it winds up working out, I'll be sure to let you guys know um, whether it did or not and all the company information. But I don't really want to talk about it until... I know whether it does work or it doesn't work, and I don't think that would be fair to them. All right, Brian asks, as a technician, do, do I feel that the owner, if the, when the owner tries to fix their own car, gets it over his head and then brings it to the shop for you to bail him out? Um, oh, how do I feel about that? Um, I'm glad that at some point they realize they shouldn't have started this project that they're doing. Um, it's happened to me a lot. Luckily, we've always been able to uh, pull them out of the weeds, so to say. Um, you know, it, it's a tough call. It, it really is. Is it an issue where they got a door panel off trying to diagnose their window not working and, um, you know, realized they couldn't make the repair and they did a good job taking it apart and keeping everything organized? You know, we talked about that um, couple shows ago about how to stay organized. If it's a customer has disassembled their engine and brings you, here's a box of my parts, please put it back together for me. Um, that's going to be expensive. That's going to be really expensive because, you know, our, our times, our labor times are built on what it should take the average technician to do a job. So if let's say replacing a cylinder head on a 1.8 turbo Passat pays, I don't know, 10 hours, um, that would be if I started the job and I finished the job. When someone brings you a box of parts and a cylinder head and tows their car to the dealership, you know, it, in your head you think, well, hey, he did half the work for you. You know, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't charge him all, all of what, what it would take. Well, <clears throat> in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, not only do I have to unwind all of this unknown stuff, I have to sort through parts and put bolts where they're supposed to be. And usually you wind up paying more for me to unwind what you did and then make the repair than you would have if I just made the repair. Um, not all the time. You know, the window example that I gave, I usually don't charge anymore for that. I'll usually, you know, just do it for whatever we would do it for. Maybe a little bit of a price break depending on how bad it really is. Um, but I don't mind, man. I'd rather you bring it to me the minute you know you're in over the head, over your head than, uh, than have a whole box of engine parts because you didn't know how to put it back together. <laughs> but uh, that was a good question, man. Um, I, it, it doesn't happen a ton, but it, it does happen. Um, it's happened a lot years ago, not so much these days. I think as cars get more complicated and, you know, more engine covers take up the whole engine bay, people tend to uh, become a little more timid about, uh, about the work that they're ready to tackle. So good question, Brian. Thanks for that. 
Um, this comes from Strawn. I was curious if I could show a breakdown of how the W8 engine and the Passats work like I did the VR. Um, so for those of you that don't know, I mentioned it a minute or two ago in the show, Jason from Engineering Explained um, and I did a collaboration video all about the VR6. We use some of the VR6 parts I have here in the garage. We use my cabbie, which is parked just behind where the camera is, and um, explained all about how the VR6 worked. And Jason actually did a W16 video, which, Stone, I think that'll probably answer all your questions. I'll put a link to Jason's W16 video in the show notes, so be sure and check that out. Um, also put a link to the VR6 video so you can see that too. Um, the W16 is very similar to the W8. So just really quick, the VR6 is a, you know, if you picture a V engine that's 90 degrees, the VR6 just pushes the cylinders in so that they're about 15 degrees or 10.6, depending on which VR. When you get into the Ws, it's basically two VR6s um, in this shape, but it's VR6s. So like that and like that. In a, in a traditional V shape. Um, but I'll put a link to Jason's video. <laughs> he did a way better job explaining it than, uh, than I just did with my stupid hand, uh, hand examples. So a uh, great question, man. And, uh, be on the lookout for those links. Hey, Charles of the podcast. Thank you very much for that. Um, they're useful in my day-to-day -day struggles as a technician, man. Don't I know that story? Uh, just curious if I was selling the shirts that I was wearing in podcast episode 30. So uh, the shirt he's talking about is the technician shirt that I have that has the humble mechanic embroidered on the chest. Um, I had never considered selling those shirts. Um, there's a, a very limited batch of humble mechanic t-shirts that I did a couple of months ago. Um, so if you guys have one of those, you're among like 40 people that own that t-shirt. Um, I don't know, man. Um, if that, if you guys are interested in that, I'll, I'll look into it and see, uh, see what I can do about getting some of those. Um, they're not cheap. I can tell you that, but if you guys want them, I'll do whatever I can do to, uh, to make that happen. So if you're interested in that, please post a comment in the comment section, either on the blog or on YouTube or email me charles at humblemechanic.com and put, um, put shop shirt in the subject and let me know if if you'd be interested and and i'll look into it and see what uh you know what a batch of those would cost it's never so, anything i really considered um i never really wanted to be in the apparel business but you guys wanted t-shirts all right next up um another person that's seen the vr6 video um thanks for watching that's awesome he has a mark 4 gti vr6 all right at about 3000 rpm um, on acceleration, he hears a rattle. Uh, he has heard that timing chains are an issue. Okay, there's two things that come to mind when when you talk about about 3,000 RPM on the older VR6, the 12 valve um, in his GTI. So his GTI would be like 99 and a half to 02, I believe. Um, I think in 03 is when the um, the four valve per cylinder VR came out. So two things. One, timing chains very well could be an issue, and you want to get that addressed immediately. That's catastrophic engine damage if that's the, the case. Um, don't wait on taking a look at that and, and seeing whether or not you have, uh, you have timing chain noise. Um, usually you can put a stethoscope right on the timing cover or right behind the timing cover and, uh, and, and pick that out. 
The other one is actually more common in my experience, and that's um, inside the intake manifold, there's a, a tumbler. So it just looks like a picture, a paper towel tube with holes in it, and, um, and it rotates. Uh, there's a little vacuum modulator on it that turns it based on engine load and driver command. Um, and what happens is, is this thing rotates, there's plastic bushings that wear out in it. Um, and what happens is you crack the throttle and it, and it shakes like that, um, or like this table does. <laughs> and um, that'll make a pretty interesting sound. It's loud. Um, if you catch it early enough, you can replace just that barrel. If you don't, um, I've experienced where it actually wears the intake manifold itself because it's all just plastic. Um, so take a look at that. You can wrap the throttle from idle to wide open or, you know, high, high load. Um, and usually hear it or feel, if you put your hand on the intake manifold and have someone else do it, you can feel it. You can also disconnect the vacuum, uh, the vacuum line to it and do it again and see if the noise changes. That's usually how I isolate that specific noise compared to a timing chain noise. So check those two things out, man. And, um, and uh, you know, go from there. Hopefully it's just that. Uh, there's also a million and a half other things that can rattle. You know, it can be a catalytic converter. It can be uh, the shield on the oil pan. Those two sound very similar. So you'll just, you got to do some investigation and uh, get yourself a, a stethoscope or a long screwdriver and put the screwdriver up to your ear with the metal end wherever you're trying to listen for the noise. And uh, hopefully, hopefully you can narrow it down, narrow it down from there. Good question, though. Um, all right, next up, uh, Bradley says, first, let's, let's keep this short. Love the show. Thank you. And second, where did I buy that hat? Um, he's actually talking about a hat that, a different hat that I'm wearing, the trucker hat um, that I wore in the last uh, viewer question show. I'll put a link to that with all the other driver's gear as well. Um, that hat specifically came from the dealership. We bought a ton of them, and um, service manager gave them out to all the employees, so I have a couple of them. Uh, very cool hat. You know, I don't wear hats a ton, really. Um, this show is is when I really the only time I wear hats, and a lot of times that's because I'm too lazy to do anything with my hair. Um, so, good question. Uh, one more, I think we have time for. Javier asks, "Can I do a video on positive versus negative camber in a Volkswagen?" Um, yeah, that's actually a great video on its own. And um, Javier, I think I can do that for you. So. Uh, keep, uh, keep your eyes open for that, but really quick. So if we're sitting in the driver's seat of our vehicle and these are our front tires, um, camber is the difference in angle between the top and the bottom. So if these are our tires, negative camber is going to be the top of the tire leaning in positive camber is going to be the top of the tire leaning out. Um, these are really tire wear angles. Um, a lot of what you see, it seems today, um, is a negative camber purely for, uh, aesthetics. Um, you know, we'll do a whole show on this, I think, where we kind of dive into to the dynamics of why you would want one versus the other. But from what I see mostly when people have negative camber, severe negative camber, um, it's usually a fitment issue with their wheel tire package or just purely for the looks. So. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. These Q&A shows are, are ultra fun for me. I really do enjoy doing them. Remember, if you want to get a question on a show like this, whether it be on audio only, on YouTube, or in the quick video section of YouTube, email me, charles at humblemechanic.com. Question for Charles in the subject. 
ask a question, hit the enter button, then give me the details of your question. That helps out a ton. And hey, if you're digging on the audio-only version of these shows, it would mean the world to me if you swung by iTunes and left it a review. If you think it's great and worth five stars, that's really awesome. I do appreciate that. If you don't think it's worth five stars, that's cool too. Whatever you think it's worth, hit the star button, leave a short comment. All that stuff really does help, and it means the world to me. You can also subscribe on iTunes on your favorite podcasting platform on the blog at HumbleMechanic.com for email updates as well as subscribe on YouTube or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Snapchat. I am all of those places and probably more. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.